And this morning we're going to be spending some time together as we continue on this series called I Am, where we've been exploring who Jesus says he is. Uh, it's one thing to learn from others who they say Jesus is, it's, but it's important to also hear what he says about himself. And this morning we're going to start with one of my favorite passages in Scripture, particularly one of my favorite quotes from Jesus. And it's a quote that I ended last week with, uh, as it's connection between last week's message, if you've watched it or if you were here in person, and this week's message. And it's a key teaching to help us understand what it is all about. In John 10.10, Jesus says that, excuse me, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This passage to me is incredibly important in Scripture. Now, all Scripture is important to varying degrees, for sure. But this one, it helps encompass why I follow Jesus. He's come to give me life in its fullness. He's come to give you life in its fullness. That is why Jesus came. He came to give us life in all of its fullness. This is important because sometimes following Jesus doesn't very much feel like a full life or fulfilling at all. In fact, sometimes following Jesus is incredibly hard. Uh, as we hear this morning from Alma and Norm and Gord about what has happened in El Salvador in the past, following Jesus was not easy then. But in fact, following Jesus is not easy today for a lot of people either. Sometimes it is external persecution, as we hear about in El Salvador, as we've heard about in other parts of the world. Sometimes we might think we hear about it in Canada as well, and at varying degrees. But sometimes it's beyond that. Sometimes it's almost like an internal struggle. When we come across something in Scripture or we're taught and go, I don't really know what to do with this, or I don't really like this. It's not easy to always accept the teachings of Scripture. And so when we come across those teachings or when we face some kind of trial that discourages us, the easy thing would be to give up. That's the easy thing. To go, okay, fine. When it comes to Scripture, we go, okay, well, I don't like that verse, so I'm going to flip until I find one I like. When it comes to persecution, we say, well, obviously this life isn't worth it. That's the easy thing. But Jesus said he came to give us life in all of its fullness. Life in abundance. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean it's consistently easy. But it does mean it's good. And it's a gift. So what is it that Jesus is coming to do that makes some of those hard moments worthwhile? Or makes some of those challenging passages that we might come across go, okay, maybe I still need to follow, even though I may not understand or even at times agree. Following Jesus is not easy. Obedience is hard. But Jesus said he came to give us life in all of its fullness. So how can we trust him? If we go by our personal feelings, if we go by our experiences, when we experience pain and suffering and sorrow, it's easy to go, well, I don't trust Jesus in this. When we experience good things, it's easy to even ignore Jesus in it because we're like, hey, things are good. I don't need Jesus. But if he says he comes to give us life in abundance, life in its fullness, how do we trust him on that? That's where today's I am statement comes in. 
And Jesus has a series of statements in John's Gospel, there's seven in particular, where he outlines who he is and says, I am something. Last week we talked about how he is the gate or the door. And this week we're continuing that same section of Scripture in John 10 where he uses another analogy but a significant one to describe who he is. In John 10, we'll start at verse 11, and we're going to jump around a bit. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the good shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, and I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus continues his analogy from the shepherd kind of setting and says that actually he is the good shepherd. He is not just the gate that other shepherds enter through, but the good shepherd. And now in the context of what's going on at this time, it's good for us to remind ourselves of, of all that's gone on. Jesus had previously healed someone who was blind. And after he had healed that blind person, there was a lot of controversy kind of surrounding the moment. Not for Jesus and his immediate followers, but for the religious leaders who saw what happened. They were informed about this man who was blind from birth gaining sight. But they also knew that the day in which of the week that it happened was a day where people were not supposed to work. So they thought, well, Jesus can't be doing good things because it's the Sabbath. There's something evil going on. They quizzed his parents, the blind man's parents, and said, is this really your son? And they said, yes, he is. And he was blind, but he's not anymore. They quizzed the man and said, well, what happened? And he says, well, I don't know, but I was blind and now I see. And all of it, they were trying to point to Jesus saying, Jesus, you're a bad guy. And in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that discourse that's going on, Jesus starts to tell these analogies, these stories about who he is. And he starts off by saying, well, there's, you know, different groups of people here. Last week's message was that Jesus was the gate. And there are those who walk through the gate and those who kind of hop the fence to try to steal the sheep. This week he says, well, he's actually the good shepherd. So that it's through him, other leaders would come that are good, but ultimately he is the ultimate leader. And this is significant because in Jesus' context, he was just, for a lot of people's sake, the average person walking around. Most people didn't realize how significant it was that God was present in the flesh with them when he was around them. They would believe when there would be a miracle, but they'd quickly forget They would listen to his teachings, but not unlike other teachers of the time. And somehow, Jesus captivated his audience, and they wanted more and more. And it wasn't because he was like everybody else. 
It was because he was God in the flesh. And the people who were the religious leaders did not like this audience that was growing around him. They didn't like that they didn't have the level of control over the people listening to him that they had at some point. And so as Jesus is telling these stories, he's saying, well, you know what? These religious leaders, they're not the good guys. They're actually oppressing you. They're actually making things worse. They are the ones who hop the fence. They don't go through the gate. And then he shifts this analogy after he says, well, his purpose is to give us a fullness of life. And he shifts it and says that he is actually the good shepherd. He's the one who's really worth following. We're going to jump down a bit to verse 25. And Jesus says, um, he says, I did tell you, and you did not believe me, speaking of himself, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This would cause anger amongst his audience who would say that, well, Jesus can't compare himself to God. No human should do that. But yet he does. He actually says he is God in this statement. And as this audience of religious leaders who would be overhearing this would be challenged by Jesus' statements, it would lead to anger within them. They were being told that they were not the good ones. They were being told that Jesus is God. And so for them, they would find it hard to trust because it would go against everything they knew about who God was supposed to be. It would go against everything they knew about what it meant to follow God, which was a series of rights and wrongs, a series of rules and regulations that you had to follow in order to be made okay with God. And so as this audience is hearing this, and these religious leaders are struggling to see, well, what is this that's happening? And the anger that brews, Jesus has said to them, well, he's actually the good shepherd. He's the one that's worth following. So how can we believe this to be true? How can we know and kind of make up our own minds that he is a shepherd that is worth following? That is what he is presenting to his first century audience in scripture, and it's also what he's presenting to us. How do we know that Jesus can be trusted to give us a fullness of life? How do we know he is worth actually following? We're all following someone. Is Jesus the right someone? Well, in the statements that he makes about who he is, he outlines why we can trust him. As he says he is the good shepherd, he gives out five, actually gives out more, but I'll say five, reasons as to why we can trust him and why he is worth following. The first one is that Jesus knows you completely. Jesus knows you completely. In verses 14 and 15 of the section, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. There is an intimacy between Jesus and us that we can overlook. 
As we follow people, as I said, we all follow people, whether it is our boss, whether it could be a friend, whether it could be someone on social media, whether it could be a pastor. We have to ask ourselves, how well do they know us? Or do they know us? Are they looking for my good? Are they looking to give me an abundance of life? Or am I just a piece in a puzzle for them to make them feel better? Sometimes we follow people who do not deserve to be followed. Jesus insists that one of the reasons why he's worth following, why he can be trusted, is he knows you. He knows you. The second thing he says is that Jesus gave himself for you. As that verse continues, it says that I am the good shepherd, lays down his life, uh, in verse 11, lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 15, and I lay down my life for the sheep again. Jesus insists that not only does he know his sheep, know us, he's also ready to die for us. He would give his life for us. He contrasts that in the story between the good shepherd and the hired hand. The hired hand just does its job, kind of manages the situation, makes sure the sheep are fed, makes sure they do what they need to do. Uh, But when real trouble strikes, they abandon. When real trouble faces the sheep, they're not going to be around. If their life is threatened, they will run. But he says, no, he will step in and be there always. That he lays down his life for us. The third thing is that he calls us and he brought us to himself. In verse 16, it says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Guess what? You're the other sheep. As he was speaking to the audience in the first century world, he was speaking to the nation of Israel. He was speaking to people who followed the Old Testament, who believed that Yahweh was their God. And he said, you know what? You are the sheep, but there's a whole other pasture out there. And I don't know all of us, but I know most of us don't follow a lineage that leads to ancient Israel. We are the other sheep. And yet he calls us to himself, and he still knows us, and he still lays down his life for us. It's an inclusive, open invitation from him to himself. And as he calls us, he also gives us eternal life. In verse 28, as I read, it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus came for life in all of its fullness. That includes an eternity. So it's an expectation for now as to what goes on and how do we find an abundance and fulfillment in life, but it's also for the life to come. He says, those he knows, his sheep, which expands beyond any lineage, he gave himself for. And as he gave himself for them, He gives them the gift of eternity. As well, he says that he guards us and he protects us for eternity. In John 10, 28, 29, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
This gift of eternity that he's given to us, those who choose to follow him as the good shepherd, those who choose to believe it to be true and to trust him in this gift of abundant life, those of us who choose to follow are given a life for eternity and nothing can take that away, he says. He is worth following. As he uses this analogy of being the good shepherd, it's one that his audience would have resonated with and would have known well. Because it's an image that comes up over and over again about who God is and who the religious leaders are meant to be in the Old Testament. They're meant to be people who lead to life. They're meant to be people who give hope and abundance, the religious leaders, but they weren't. They were people who brought destruction to other people. There are people who oppressed people by making them hold on to things they weren't ever meant to hold on to, by pushing them down to be part of a system that was not what they were meant to be part of. The purpose of the Old Testament law was not to be followed to the T where they did everything absolutely right all the time. The purpose of the Old Testament law that the religious leaders pushed on them was to make them realize how they could never measure up to how good God is. And because of that, they needed God. So instead of realizing that they needed God, they tried to do it within their own strength, and it just brought them down over and over again. And so as Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders as well as everybody in the crowd, he says, you know what? The way to follow him is a life of abundance, not of bringing you down all the time. And he demonstrates that he is worth following because he knows us completely. He gave himself for us. He called us to him for the gift of eternity and won't let anyone take that away. So why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus says this is who he is? Why does it matter to us to believe this and to embrace it and to accept it to be true? Well, he says earlier, there are thieves who come only to steal and kill and destroy. There are thieves doing this all the time. There are thieves who are wolves, not in sheep's clothing, but shepherd's clothing. Sometimes they are religious leaders who are doing the exact same thing that the Pharisees did, making it about following rules and ignoring the grace that God gives us. That we don't follow rules to achieve God's grace, but because of God's grace, we choose to follow Jesus. And there are wolves who don't just oppress in that way, but oppress by abusing people. Who are meant to be leaders, who are meant to lead to life abundantly, but just choose to use violence or force or coercion. There are thieves out there. And sometimes they might not look like thieves or wolves. They might look like wonderful people. And they might be found on the internet trying to lead you in a way that is different than what Scripture invites you to. Different than the way of abundant life that Jesus invites you to. There are people who will go to Scripture and say, well, I don't really believe this, so don't worry about it. And say, follow my way. And will choose to say, well, those tough parts, don't worry about them. Just do what I do. And this progressive movement of ignoring some of the stuff that's so clearly written in Scripture comes over and over again to say, well, it's too hard, just ignore it. But Jesus says, follow me, 
And following him does involve knowing what he believed, what he did, not just ignoring the stuff that's hard. There are many thieves out there. There are thieves in our churches. There are thieves in our homes. There are thieves on the internet. There are thieves on our TVs. There are books that we read that are written by thieves, by people who do not really want to give you the abundant life that Jesus offers. But instead, lie to us and tell us things that aren't true or oppress us and ignore what Jesus offers. So who are you letting influence you? Who are you following? Are you reading people or watching people or listening to people who maybe are leading you in a certain way that goes differently than where Jesus is directing? And if you are, maybe you need to start asking questions. Well, does this lead to life or something else? We are all influenced by other people. We're all following somebody. But are we following the right somebodies? If whoever we are following is not leading us to Jesus, and we are not choosing to follow Jesus because of that, then they're not worth following. Jesus says he came to give us life in all of its abundance. That is worth following. And he's presented us with a reason why it's worth following and why we can trust him. But we still have to choose to do it. There are many popular voices that are not good shepherds. They're not even hired hands who will ditch you at a moment's notice. They're evil. They're deceitful. And they don't want to give you life. So how do you know who to listen to? I'm going to give you four suggestions that I think are really good ones for right now. First thing, if you want to know who to listen to is, well, you should read your Bible. Read what it says. Read what Jesus said. Read what Jesus did. Read what Jesus believed in the Old Testament. Jesus believed it. Read how the early church acted because of who Jesus was. Read your Bible. Many of us don't. I know some of us, we do. Maybe we read it sporadically. Some of us have a really good routine, and that's fantastic. I know there's a group of us who read it daily together through an app. But you need to actually read the words. If we don't read the words, if we don't actually read what happened, and we have reason we can trust what is written there, and I'd be glad to talk about that if you're worried that you can't trust it. If we don't actually know what it says, how can we follow it? So read your Bible. But also learn from history. And I think this is one of the big mistakes that we make, is we, we kind of have this idea that whatever we experience now, whatever we're going through now, maybe we're the first ones. Or maybe we know better than everyone before. We need to learn from history. This means learning from what the early church understood about the Bible, about who Jesus was. How did they act? Why did they act that way? I can almost guarantee you most of the stuff we deal with every day now, which seems so, let's say, contemporary to us, were the same issues they dealt with then. There might be nuances to them, but they were the same concerns, the same uncertainties, the same worries. Learn how they applied Scripture. Learn how they lived it out. 
We need to read our Bibles to know what it says, but then it also helps us to know what other people understood it to mean. If someone is telling you, and hopefully I've never said this to you, because it won't sound so good right now, but if someone is telling you, I've got a new understanding from something, watch out. There should be no new understandings on a 2,000-year-old document. Be careful. If someone brings you something absolutely new that no one has ever said before, there's a good chance they made it up. Learn from history. Learn how people understood it. Sometimes it might be new to us because maybe we've ignored how people have understood things, and that's okay. But it shouldn't be new and out of nowhere. That's dangerous. Third one is listen to the Holy Spirit. One of the great gifts that God gives us is his presence always in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we fully understand, maybe all of us, what that means or how that works, but it means that God is present with you and God is desiring to guide you in your life. That when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to accept him as Lord, as that good shepherd, he never leaves you in the person of the Holy Spirit. So spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit. It's more than just our conscience of trying to think things through in our head. It's God actually wanting to speak to us and guide us. But like in any relationship, if there's only one side talking and you're never listening, that relationship won't go very well. Spend time listening to what God has to say to you. When you're trying to figure something out, if it is the way of God, is the way of Jesus or not, pray about it. And listen to God's guidance to you. If you are reading scripture, if you are learning from history, there should be clear evidence that nothing goes against that when God speaks to you. And the fourth one is just follow Jesus. Follow and live like he did. Throughout scripture, you see who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, who he interacted with, how he treated people. Do likewise. If you want to follow this good shepherd, and if you want to know why he is trustworthy, you read scripture. You read the Bible. You learn from history. Understand how people have understood him throughout history and why. You are attentive to the Holy Spirit, listening to how God is guiding you, and then you act upon it and live it out. As many of us know, if you know something and you don't put it into practice, you quickly forget it. Put it into practice. Follow Jesus. Jesus says he is the good shepherd and he came to give us life in all of its fullness. That is a life for us to take if we want it. All we have to do is follow him. And so that question is, who are you following? Are you following Jesus who leads to life in abundance or someone else who might be a thief or a liar? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are uh, the God who is present with us always in the Holy Spirit. That you invite us to know you through Jesus. That you came in the flesh on this earth to show that you are the good shepherd. You are the one who loves us above all else. And that in that love, you lay down your life for us. That Jesus, you died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins and so that we could have this life in abundance. I thank you, Father, for that. And I pray that as we 
process through what it means that, Jesus, you say you are the good shepherd, we process through it and then try to reflect on our own lives and look at who we are following. Whomever we are following, God, is no one compared to you. Whether they are a good person and, and seem to be leading in the right direction, ultimately we need to follow you, Jesus, because you are the only one who really laid down their life for us. And I pray that as we examine and trust that the Holy Spirit, you are speaking to us, as we reflect on who maybe we have been following, we open our hearts and minds to maybe change directions and see that there is something better that you offer us, Jesus. And I pray for us this morning that we do so in humility, in trust, that you are who you say you are, and that you are worth following. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.